Okay, would you take your Bible and open to Revelation chapter 5. Open your Bible or, or your phone or tablet device or whatever you have with you to, uh, to be able to access God's Word. Also this morning I've, I've tried to put the verses up on the screen. I'm not sure that the, the font is as big as I was going for. So if you have to squint at your Bible, you may have to squint a little bit at the screen, but I'm going to try to begin to put the verses on the screen more often because I know that as many of you have have let me know, I I switch translations from time to time and so I throw people off uh, about exactly what wording or or translation that, that we're using. Just as a reminder, just so we stay on the same page about this, when it comes to translations of of the Bible, the Old Testament, which would be those first 39 books that, that are in your Bible, kind of that, that first half or, or more like two-thirds of the pages in the Bible, those, those books were written in Hebrew, a little bit in Aramaic, but almost entirely in Hebrew. And then the New Testament that we have that tells us about the life of Jesus and the church was written in Greek. And so... They've been translated into other languages, and if you've ever spoken multiple languages or you're able to translate, you know it's not as simple as one word in this language equals one word over here. Or the ordering of a sentence in one language may not be the ordering of a sentence in another language. And so we have translations, and they're not going to have the same words or the same word order all the time just because language translation doesn't work that way. And so people ask me, well, what translation should I use? Uh, well, the, the English translation you should use is the one that you use. Uh, if, if you're reading it and you're able to understand it and you're making use of your Bible, use that one. Uh, there's, there are a lot of good ones out there. Some people feel very comfortable with King James Version or New King James Version because they've grown up with that. That's, that language makes sense. They're familiar with the phrasing. A lot of people will open a King James or New King James Bible and just not understand what, what the wording is about and what the phrasing is about. If you don't know where to start and you just have average reading skills, there's, there's nothing wrong with the New International Version. That's a very basic, straightforward uh, version. English Standard Version, if you're walking into a store and there are all these different Bibles to pick from and you just don't know where to go, English Standard Version is, is another good one to pick. If you have kids uh, or uh, teenagers, or and there's nothing if you say, my reading skills just aren't what, what I wish they were, there are a couple of translations. One in particular, the New Living Translation, that's a very good one. And uh, another one called the Contemporary English Version. So if you're just trying to say, how do I get access to the Bible in a way that I can understand? There are a lot of translations out there. And so on Sunday morning, I'm going to rotate. I'm going to use different ones that, that I feel like are, is best for us on, on that particular morning. I'll try to make sure that it's on the screen. One other update, just to kind of cover, cover things. Many of you have asked about Emery, our, our youngest, our two-year-old was in the hospital yesterday related to the fact that she's walking around with a stiff leg and kind of looks like a pirate with a peg leg when she walks. But poor thing, you never want to be the people in the hospital when the doctors come in and scratch their heads and then they go find another doctor to come back and they say, well, we, we don't know what's going on. And they ran a lot of tests and they don't know what's going on. So 
She could just be acting like a two-year-old. That's an option. Um, or there could be something medically going on there that we really need to get to the bottom of. So we're going to do referrals this week and go see some specialists. But, but thank you all for, uh, for caring about us and, and asking. Okay, Revelation chapter 5. Let's, let's read this and, and jump into, uh, into the middle of it. The words will also be on the screen if, if you can see them behind me. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. God, we pray that we would worship. That we would see your greatness. That we would see that you are worthy of worship. And that we would give our entire lives to that reality. God, that we would be so captured. God, so mesmerized by the greatness and the power of Jesus that it would drive our lives, that it would drive our church, that it would drive everything we are about. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever think sometimes what something is worth? Maybe you've seen these, uh, some of these shows on TV, whether it's a picking show where they go out and find these, uh, these places with all the stuff that looks like junk and then someone picks something out and they go out and they find it's worth all this money. Um, Or there's the show, what is it, Antique Roadshow? Is that the one where they go around you can bring your valuables and and they're appraised and you think about. Think about what you have that is the most valuable possession. 
you think, that's not going to take very long. It doesn't go very high, Owen. But uh, you think about what you own that, that is so valuable. And I know we're in church, and so you're, you're tempted to say, my Bible, or, you know, Jesus, because that's a good answer. You know, but think about what is most valuable to you. What is of the most worth to you? My prayer and my desire and my heart for your life and for my life and for our church is that we would be able to answer Jesus, not because that's expected, not because we're forced to say that because we're in church, but because it's the overflow of our heart that when we think, what is of most worth to me? What is most valuable? What is most precious in my life? The overflow of our hearts, our, our, our thoughts, our affections, our values, everything that we think about would be driven by who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. That we would see this reality that we've seen about that he is worthy of worship and then we would see that overflowing in our lives. Those things, those possessions, those family members, those people that we count as precious, we would count them as precious precisely because of who Jesus is. To say that he is most valuable, that he is worth more to us than anything else, doesn't mean that those other things don't matter. It just means that they're put in their right place. That when we see his greatness, we see his beauty, we see his power, then all those other things in our life begin to make sense. That when we turn our eyes to Jesus, the other things in life fall into place. They be, we begin to see them for what they really are. Gifts from God, things given to us to enjoy, to accept, to be part of our lives. But they're not the main thing. They're not the thing that drives our life. What we worship is what drives our life. And my prayer for our church, my prayer for us individually, is that Jesus would be that thing. And don't forget that we do not worship something. And we do not worship someone in order to get something as a result of that. We don't say, I'm going to worship Jesus so that he will do X, Y, and Z for me. Jesus is both the foundation and the goal of our worship. We don't say, I'm going to worship Jesus because I hope to get beyond him to get something more. He is the goal of our life. He is the focus of our worship. He is the foundation of our worship. We have to be so careful about that idea that I will worship Jesus so that I will get something else. Because of who he is, because of what he has already done for us, it's for those reasons that we give our lives to him. And that's what we want to do as a church. That's what we want to be about as a church. Your main identity in life, your main occupation in life is not to be wife or mom. It's not to be husband or father or grandparent. It's not to be a teacher. It's not to be retired. It's not to be any other thing. Your main identity, your main occupation in life is to be a worshiper. Worshipper drives being a mom. Worshipper drives being a husband. Worshipper drives being a business owner. Worshipper drives being retired. Whatever your reality in life is right now, your main occupation, your main identity is to be a worshiper. And when you are giving your life to Jesus, 
then all of those other things will begin to take on new meaning. They'll begin to take on new power. They'll take on new direction. And so what I want us to do this morning is just to establish in Scripture that reality that Jesus is worthy of worship, that he is going to be the very center of our lives. He is going to be what drives our life. Last week, I introduced to you that I want our mission statement as a church to be that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. So we're going to think about what does it mean that we exist. Church is not about me. It's not about any individual. Church is about we. So we exist to proclaim what we do with our mouths and display what we do with our lives, just as was prayed over the offering, that it's not just our words, but it's our deeds. So we proclaim it and we display it, and it's all about Jesus. And we're going to do those things supremely. Jesus is worth everything we have to give. We're going to do that fully. Jesus should impact all of our lives And we're going to do that widely. We're going to take that message to everyone. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to take supremely, fully, and widely and unpack that using God's word as as our direction. So this morning, our focus is on supremely. Next week, it will be fully. And then on the 18th, it will be widely. What does it mean to be a church that does, does those things? And so I gave you a chart. Kind of, uh, uh, let me see, I've got a handout here. A chart, if you did not get one of these little pieces of paper, it's not in your bulletin today. We didn't reprint all of them, but hopefully you kept yours from last week or there are some on the tables as you leave. And so if you would like to pick up one of these to to take with you. But the chart is also up here on the screen. And you can see how it falls out where on the left we have supremely, that talks about worship, Fully talks about discipleship, following Jesus, and widely talks about missions. And then there are two columns, proclaim and display. Here's a couple of things I want to talk about with with this chart, just so we're all on the same page. Do you see the bottom row that talks about doing things widely, doing missions, going out and doing those things, or knowing the Bible, living out the Bible? What we have to realize in our lives, and and, and take inventory of your own life just for a minute. Don't look at it as a chart. Look at this as a chance to take inventory of your life. If those bottom rows aren't happening in my life, your life, our church, we have to face the reality that maybe the top row is not authentic. If those bottom rows, if we're not driven to know God's word, if we're not driven to live God's word out, if we're not driven to share God's word widely, then it may be that we've never worshipped Jesus supremely. We've never counted him as being more valuable, of being of more worth, as being the thing that guides our life. And so what we have to think about as a church is if we're not doing the bottom row well, it may be that the row above that, is not being done well. And if that role is not being done well, the problem may lie at a higher level. And so what, the reason we're doing what we're doing this morning is I want us to be all on the same page that Jesus is supreme, that he is worthy. Because if we're all on the same page with that, then our lives will flow downhill on this chart and we'll begin to naturally live those things out. Here's the other danger with this chart. Did you know that it is possible 
to check off every box on this chart, but Jesus not be the focus of that. That first box up there, someone could say with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, but really not believe that. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says that many people will say to him, Lord, Lord, and yet on that day he will say, I never knew you. It is possible to confess with your mouth, to say words with your mouth, but Jesus not be supremely valuable in your heart. It's possible to be baptized, to be a church member, and Jesus not be the goal of that. You got baptized just because you saw somebody else doing it. You're a church member just because your family's been church members for four decades, or not for four generations. It's just something that you've always done, but Jesus doesn't drive that. Going down, there are a lot of people who know more facts about the Bible than we do, but they do not love Jesus as being supreme in their life. It's possible to have a lot of head knowledge. It's possible even to teach a Bible study class and your life not be about Jesus. It'd just be about facts. It'd be about information. Over here, living out the Bible, there are people who live a moral life, who are good citizens. We call them good people, but their life is not driven by Jesus. You can live a moral life that looks like, hey, I'm kind of following Jesus in the Bible, but you're just doing it because you want to be a good citizen or you want to be a good person, not because of who Jesus is. You can go on a mission trip. You can pay it forward all you want and do nice things for people, but there's a way to do those things that is not driven by Jesus. And so what I want us to be so cautious of as a church, as we go through this chart, don't say, oh yeah, I checked off that box, I've been saved. Oh yeah, I've been baptized, I'm a church member, I live a good life, I gave a coat to somebody last Christmas. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus is worthy of worship. He is the one who's going to drive our lives. Let's go back to God's word and let's look at this in Revelation 5. There are three ways three ways that Jesus is worthy of worship, that he's worthy of our lives. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, says most people want Jesus as a consultant rather than king, but he doesn't come to us that way. Jesus is not our consultant to have a better life. Jesus is our king. Revelation 5 begins, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, And it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Verse 5, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. On the back of your bulletin, the back of your worship guide, there are some notes that you can follow along if you haven't been already. But the first way that we see Jesus as worthy of worship is that he is worthy of worship when no one else could satisfy, when no one else could pull through. 
There's a picture here in Revelation 5 of this scroll that's written on the front and the back. It's rolled up and it's sealed with these seven seals. And the scroll is, is representing, is talking about what God is going to do in the world. It's talking about what's about to unfold in the chapters of Revelation. But it's not just about predicting the future. It's representative of all of who God is, of how God is going to work in, in the world, how God is going to work among people to bring judgment, to bring salvation, to see all of his plans come to fruition. And you notice here that the people are beginning, if we read Revelation 5, they're beginning to panic a little bit because it's found there's no one who is able to break the seals. Verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. So John, who wrote these words, is saying, even the greatest angel in heaven could not break the seals on the scroll. Verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. There was no one worthy, no one able to tell who God was, what God was going to do, no one worthy to break the scroll. Here's what I want us to see. All of us in this room and every person in the world is looking, and make sure we follow on this, everyone is looking for something worthy to give their lives to. People are always walking around saying, is that a worthy cause? And what they're saying is, is it worth my time? Is it worth my money? Is it worth my life to give myself to that? We're we're looking for something to make sense of life. We're looking for something to dedicate our lives to. And so people go to their jobs and they dedicate their jobs to that. They dedicate their their lives to their hobby. They, they find these great causes in the world that do very good things, and they dedicate their life to that, their money to that, their time to that. We're all looking for something or someone who is worthy of us giving our lives for it, something that can satisfy. And here's what we have to be careful about. We live in a world today that tells us there is no single thing worth giving your life for. There are a lot of good options out there. There are a lot of good religions. There are a lot of good causes. There are a lot of good ideas out there that you can give yourself to. But what the world will say, and specifically the term behind this is what we might call postmodernism or relativism. This idea that there are a lot of different ideas, a lot of good things, but there's no single overarching story that makes sense of everything. There's no single person that's worthy of your attention. There's no single idea that you would give your life to. And so they say, you can't come along and tell me that Jesus is worthy of worship. Jesus is a good idea. He has some good teachings. He might do some good things in your life. But you can't tell me that he is the only one who is worthy of worship. But that's what Revelation 5 is saying right here. That they looked in heaven. They searched out all the good spiritual ideas. They looked on earth. They tried to find someone who could do it. They looked under the earth. They went for dark, deep, secret powers. And people today in our world get into deep, dark junk looking for something to guide their lives. And the answer here is in none of those things, 
The answer is found in Jesus, that he is the one who satisfies. He is the one who is worthy of our lives. He is the one who is worthy of our worship. And so Paul will come along in Philippians chapter 4. And you know what Paul says in Philippians 4? He says, I have learned to be content no matter the circumstances. No matter what happens in life, Jesus is able to satisfy. I can do all things. I can encounter all things because it's his power who works within me. It's his power at work in my life. He is able to satisfy. And the message that we want to present to the world around us, to the people in our neighborhoods, to the people at our workplace, what we want to say is that Jesus is worthy of your life. I'm not telling you to follow Jesus because he's a good guy. I'm not telling you to follow Jesus because he might give you some good things. I'm telling you to give your life to Jesus because he is the only one worthy of your worship. And the question comes back, why? Why is Jesus worthy? Why are you telling me that he is so much more important than everything else? And that takes us to our second point. He is worthy of worship because he has done something in a way no one else could achieve it. Look back at verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then look at verse 6. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Here's the reason. Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God. No one able, no one is able to do what Jesus has done for us because no one is able to be who Jesus is. Fully God, fully man. Fully responsible for all of creation, yet entering into creation to take on our darkness, to take on our sin, to take on our pain on the cross, and then to be victorious over the grave. Did you notice what happened in verse 5? It says, One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, lion of the tribe of Judah is an Old Testament phrase that's coming from Genesis chapter 49. So it's reaching back there saying, do you see the lion? And then look what happened in verse 6. It says, then I saw a lamb. Okay, make sure we understand the craziness of this. Someone tells you, hey, there's a lion over there. And you turn around and there's, there's a lamb standing there. So Jenny takes the kids, you know, to Honey Island Swamp, and she says, we're going to see alligators. And there are little goldfish swimming around in the water. And the kids say, those, those aren't alligators, those are goldfish. She said, no, 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 I said that there's going to be alligators. And the kids say, no, but those are goldfish. You know, goldfish and alligators aren't, aren't quite the same thing. 
This is what is happening here. Look, there's a lion. You turn around, there's a lamb. So what is he? Is he a lion or is he a lamb? Yes, that's right. He, he, he is a lion who is a lamb. Here's a little kickback to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. Do you know what the devil is referred to in 1 Peter chapter 5? A roaring lion. Seeking to devour. This idea of this overwhelming power seeking to devour something. And so the devil seeks to be victorious through power, through intimidation, through this fear factor. Jesus, the line of Judah, do you know how he sought to be victorious? Through being a lamb, through giving up his life, through being sacrificed for us. So one side seeks to be victorious by throwing around their weight, by being powerful, by seeking to frighten. The other side seeks to be victorious by giving up their life, by sacrificing for the good of others. Jesus is worthy of worship because his power is not seen in intimidation. His power is seen in the cross. That is the reason that he is worthy of our worship. That is the reason that he is worthy of our lives. And so if someone says, how can you tell me that Jesus is more valuable than anything else? How can you tell me that Jesus is really worth my life? You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what my family's going through right now. You don't know the pain that we face. Were it not for the cross, we would have no response at that point. But because the Lion of Judah is also a lamb who was slain for us, then he is worthy of worship. Then he is worthy of our lives because he has given his life for us. So he satisfies in a way that no one else can because he's done something that no one else can. And then the third point is that he's done it for a purpose that no one else could imagine. Look at verses 9 through 14. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, what happened? You purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest. Big circle around kingdom and priest in your Bible because that's 1 Peter chapter 2. That's what we talked about last week. 1 Peter 2 is connecting perfectly right there. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Verse 13, Then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, singing to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, and honor, and glory, and power, forever and ever. So this work that Jesus does, this work that Jesus does, is not just about me 
individually. Though Jesus does come to each one of us and, and require that we respond in faith. But it's not just about us individually. God is in the process of creating a people who will worship him, who will be a part of his kingdom, who will be priests standing before him, worshiping in purity and showing others how to worship. So it's not just about me. It's about what God wants to do with all of us as worshipers. And it's not just about us right here. It's about people from every nation and tribe and language coming together and worshiping God. Sometimes if we're not careful, and not to say we're guilty of this, but sometimes if we're not careful, our vision of what God desires to do through his people is no bigger than this room. And I'm speaking to myself, okay? We're just saying we have to be cautious about this. That our imagination, our vision, our ideas of what Jesus wants to do in our lives and through our people is only as big as this room. But what we see here in Revelation is that God's vision of what he desires to do in raising up Jesus above all else is not just for this room. It is for here, it is for near, it is for far. It is for every language, language, every people, every nation. And so here's the picture. We have a lot of little kids in our church right now that are asking about baptism, that are talking about following Jesus. And our response to that is we are so excited about that. And we are so excited about what God's going to do in their lives. But we are not just applauding their decision for what's going to happen in this building. We are applauding God's work in their life because their lives will be about Jesus' greatness. And Jesus' greatness going to all people. And so when we see people baptized back here, it's not just, yay, they were baptized in our church. It's that they have given up their lives so that the message about Jesus will spread to every person. So that everyone will know about him. And so when we care for kids, when we share the gospel at the foster home, when we share the gospel at Baptist Children's Village, when we share the gospel in Uganda, we don't do that because we just want to pay it forward. We do it because Jesus is worthy. Because he has so shown his greatness in our lives that the only possible response is that message go widely to every person. There's a quote that I want us to think about that we're going to come back around to in in two weeks. And here's the quote. It comes from a pastor named John Piper in his book about missions. And the quote is that worship is primary, not missions. The reason that missions exist is for the result of worship. So the reason we do these things on these tables, the reason that these kids are baptized, the reason that we say we're going to give up our lives is not so we can be good at missions. It's so that every person on the globe will become a worshiper of Jesus. Our goal as a church is not to be a missions church. Our goal is to be a worship church. And when there are people who are not worshiping, then we must do missions. And guess what? There are a lot of people in our world who do not, do not worship Jesus. And so there is a lot of mission to be done. 
but we can't commit ourselves to missions until we truly count Jesus as worthy of our lives. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song about how Jesus is worthy. And if you say, I need to commit fresh to what it means to worship Jesus. I need need to be a part of a church that worships Jesus. I need to be a part of a church that is on mission so that others will worship Jesus. We're going to be here for you at the front. You can respond. I would love to pray for you. And we are always available to talk about what it means to be God's people. Let's pray together.